Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. We're finally getting back to some semblance of normal across the state after that big cold blast over the past week. I hope that you have come through it okay. Thanks so much for joining us here on Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. We're covering everything from the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Transpecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. A variety of factors is in the mix, but it looks like we could see increased numbers of cattle coming to Texas High Plains feed yards. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. We're thawing out from a deep freeze across Texas. Please join me, John Degno from San Angelo, as we discuss damage to plants. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Texas poultry growers faced lots of challenges over the past week thanks to Mother Nature. Jerry Moody is a poultry grower in northeast Texas near Mount Pleasant. He says he didn't have any birds last week, but he still had a lot of concerns. So um, my big concern uh, right now with uh, not having birds in the houses, with the amount of snow that we got the other day, my big concern is houses collapsing under the weight of the uh, the snow and the ice that's on top of the barns. I've never had a house collapse under this. My wife was raised on a poultry farm, and uh, she has had to dig out chickens from collapsed houses. I believe it was sometimes back in the early 80s when she had to do that. But that's the first thing that my, my mind goes to. The second thing is when we don't have birds, we're having to do a little extra work as far as uh, expenses in the poultry houses because if we're having to light brooders and get our, get our heaters going in the house. Houses, so our lines within the houses won't freeze and, you know, have a bigger mess, you know, when we get ready for birds. So that's the things that, that are kind of affecting me right now with not having any chickens. Well, Jerry, what about the poultry growers who do have chickens right now? That has to be a challenge. Growers that got birds either, you know, probably last Friday all through this week, you know, we're trying to keep those houses starting out at about 88 degrees. You know, they're going to have an astronomical uh, propane bill uh, that they're never going to be able to make up that kind of money. You've got a range of what you're going to get paid at the end of the flock. Uh, and so you kind of have to control your expenses. And there's times, you know, that you can't control your expenses because of Mother Nature and as cold as it's going to be. With the small margins that's in the poultry business right now, they're going to have to really dig pretty deep to maybe even make a profit on the uh, flock that they uh, are currently getting. I kind of feel bad for those guys, but um, but anyway, you know, guys that's got birds that are, you know, two, three, four weeks old, um, obviously are going to have to spend a little bit of extra on propane right now, but it won't affect them quite as bad because the birds in the houses are putting out heat and the houses are already warmed up. And then you've got the guys that are catching out right now, and you're opening the barns up, and they're go- they're in the house for a couple hours catching the birds, and you got to work out pipes freezing, and it's just kind of stuff that we don't have to face too often around here. So there's a wide variety of problems that are associated with this um, kind of historic cold temperature that we have here for, for poultry growers. Well, Jerry, I know you have cattle as well. How has the cow herd fared through all of this mess over the past week? I am pretty much 
through with calving except for on my seed stock operation, uh, on my purebred operation. I've got kind of two different calving seasons. One, I, I calve uh, starting about October, and then this other group, we, we're, we're kind of right in the middle of it. The cattle are pretty cold. I mean, the cattle are kind of, I, I would imagine, that their system is in pretty much shock because um, – you know, being in this part of Texas, they don't, they don't see this kind of weather either. So, But we are, you know, we're keeping them fed. We're keeping the hay out. We're keeping the supplemental feed out. And, uh, you know, that's a challenge in itself when you're digging, when you're walking through or driving through uh, about eight or nine inches of snow and, and um, stuff that we're just not used to normally around here. Jerry Moody, poultry and cattle producer in northeast Texas. Texas High Plains feedlots could see more cattle in the coming months. James Hunt has more from Amarillo. Placements of new cattle in Texas High Plains feed yards have been down in recent months, but Brady Miller of Texas Cattle Feeder says that trend could be changing. Strong beef demand, both domestically and abroad, could persuade some feed yard operators to purchase more animals in anticipation of better fed cattle prices ahead. And there could also be an influx of feeder cattle being shipped to feed yards a little ahead of schedule due to forage on grazing lands being damaged by our recent long stretch of freezing temperatures. Miller says the rise in wheat prices could also send cattle in from pastures early. If that wheat looks like it's going to be worth more money as a grain product, a lot of these farmers may come in and say, I want you to pull your cattle off early just because I'm going to take my wheat crop to grain because it's worth more than feeding cattle for another, you know, 30 or 45 days. However, probably not as many cattle going to feed yards here lately as the prolonged freeze and snow caused some auction barns to close and Miller says shipments to packing plants were also curtailed due to weather-related factors. Many of these facilities have been asked to cut back on their gas usage so that gas could go to being able to heat homes and, and human life. So... Yes, we have seen a disruption in cattle moving from the feed yards to the packing plant, but it's not per se because of road conditions or because of the snow and not able to get the cattle there. But the good news coming out of this brutal cold spell is, with feed yard personnel working hard to make sure their cattle had feed and access to unfrozen water, Miller says it appears any death losses will be minimal. It's been cold and freezing up some tanks. It's not fun by any means, but it seems to be that the cattle are faring very well coming through this. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Arctic freeze exposed big problems in the Texas power grid affecting the Texas food supply chain, including farmers, ranchers, and processing facilities. My guest today is Charlie Leal. He's state legislative director for the Texas Farm Bureau. He's based in Austin. And Charlie, the state government has responded to the problems this week. I've seen the governor come out and take several actions. Let's start with that. Tell me what the governor is doing to address this power crisis here in Texas. Uh, absolutely, Kerry. Uh, as you say, you know, all across the state, we've seen rolling blackouts caused by the sudden lack of, of sufficient energy production. Uh, and this has led to dangerous conditions for just about everyone in Texas. Uh, the governor, uh, as a result, has uh, declared the reform of the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, known as ERCOT, as an emergency item for this legislative session. Uh, and in declaring that item as, as an emergency, uh, the governor's calling on the legislature to investigate ERCOT and ensure that we never experience power outages on the scale that we've seen over the past several days. Well, Charlie, I guess we are fortunate to have a legislative session underway right now to try to tackle this problem. Tell me what the legislature is going to do in response to the governor's request. 
Yeah, House Speaker Dade Phelan uh, has already uh, called for a joint session of the House State Affairs and Energy Resources Committees on this issue. Uh, they'll be meeting next uh, Thursday, February 25th. And on that same day, the Texas Senate Business and Commerce Committee will also have a hearing. Uh, the governor making it an emergency item uh, allows the legislature to begin work on this item immediately. Well, you mentioned they can work on this item quickly, but sometimes the wheels of government move slowly. How quickly do you think we can actually see some results from these efforts that are being made right now? As a result of, uh, of Governor Abbott issuing the disaster declaration and also working with the White House on securing a federal disaster declaration as well, um, you know, there, there will be quick action, no doubt. Uh, the Public Utilities Commission, which the governor appoints uh, members of their commission, uh, they've, they've already been at the behest of the governor working on solutions and working on ways that we can get everyone back up and running again. Uh, but yes, uh, you know, the, the session is a process. It will take some time, uh, but this does give this item a, a helpful push forward. Charlie Leal, State Legislative Director for the Texas Farm Bureau. Thanks so much, Charlie. No problem. Thank you for having me on. We're finally thawing out from a record run of sub-freezing temperatures across Texas, and now the recovery can begin. Horticulturalist John Begno has some advice on what to do with cold-damaged plants. Boy, was it a cold one this last week. Things really did get deep freeze all the way down to the Rio Grande Valley, down into deep east Texas, and of course the Panhandle. And this is a good example of learning of using plants for the right location. If we had plants that were adapted to these cold climate, then they're going to be survivors. If we stretch the margin on a lot of these plants because we enjoyed their beauty, their color, their size, their shape, whatever it is, and it really was maybe better suited to south of where we're using them, then those are toast. We're going to find that a lot of people will be shopping for new plant materials across Texas and other states as well because of this decrease. Some of the bad news is, in talking to some of the industry professionals, they were already depleted in supplies because of the lockdown, the COVID lockdown. There were people started gardening more and doing more landscaping, and a lot of their inventory is is not what it should be to supply a great demand that we're likely to see in the coming weeks. One of the major questions we get after a deep freeze like this is, are my plants damaged and when will I know and a few things like that. And we won't know on a lot of these things for months. You know, it's very obvious on some. Some will be root killed, I mean, all the way to the ground, and they will not return. A good example are some of these palm trees that we've planted all across Texas in zones that we shouldn't have. Some of those for sure are not going to come back. We're going to spend a lot of time removing such plants. And if you want to replant, that's okay. That's your choice. You can make an oasis in the desert or or whatever you'd like to do. You can choose that plant material to go in, but be prepared to replace it once we get these really severe cold spells. And there's not much we can do about that. So we do have a great opportunity facing us. We can do some renovation of some of these landscapes. Take, of course, those damaged plants, which we may not know until May, June, or July. Take those out and replace them with more adapted plants that use less water, that are better suited for their new location, and so forth. This is John Begner reporting from San Angelo. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is asking volunteers to hold off on picking up abandoned crab traps. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll explain on Texas Ag Today. And if you have a lab or other large hunting dog that's doing a lot of swimming, you might notice a problem with their tail. 
Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a look at that problem coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. National FFA Week is February 20th through the 27th, and FFA students across the country will be sharing their stories. I'm Doster Harper, president of the National FFA Organization, and I'm from the state of Georgia. National FFA Week is a time to share what FFA is and the impact it has on members every day. And because FFA and agricultural education prepare students for careers, leadership, and the ability to face what the future holds, that impact is profound. Share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. If you have a lab or other large breed of hunting dog that's in the water a lot, you might notice a problem with their tail. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd tells what that problem just might be. A syndrome can develop in large breed hunting dogs called limp tail syndrome. The syndrome goes by several names, such as limber tail, flaccid tail, rudder tail, sprain tail, or the correct name of caudal myopathy syndrome. Symptoms of the syndrome include the tail being completely flaccid and hanging straight down with no movement at all, or the base of the tail being stiff and the remainder of the tail being flaccid and hanging straight down. Dogs that develop the condition usually have a history of being transported in a crate for a prolonged period. Prolonged exertion in swimming, especially in cold water, or just exposure to cold and wet weather. The syndrome is believed to occur due to overexertion of the tail, which results in inflammation of the muscles that control the tail. And pressure builds up in these muscles similar to compartment syndrome. Pain can be found at the base of the tail and in the lumbosacral area in the early stages of the syndrome. Although x-rays are usually negative, it is a good idea to get x-rays to rule out other causes of tail inflammation, such as trauma and a fracture of the tail. Although the syndrome is reported to occur in only one out of every 200 working dogs, it is likely more common as it is believed only about 25% of the cases are actually reported to veterinarians. The disease commonly occurs in the fall and winter with heavy training and cold weather. The good news is that most of these cases resolve in two weeks, but some can have permanent tail abnormalities and up to 50% of the dogs will have a relapse of the syndrome. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd with today's Texas Vet News. You are listening to the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is asking the public to hold off on picking up abandoned crab traps. Jessica Domel explains in today's Wildlife Report. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is urging Texans who planned on helping with the crab trap removal effort this month to hold off for a few days. The volunteer abandoned crab trap removal effort was slated to start Friday when the department closes Texas coastal waters to crabbing with wire mesh traps. Due to the unprecedented winter weather across Texas, the department is now asking volunteers to wait until Monday before removing any traps with buoys from open water. This allows crabbers to collect their wire mesh traps that they may not have been able to pick up due to recent weather conditions. If you plan on volunteering with a group or organization, TPWD recommends that you reach out to them for more information. Details are available on the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department website. We now have results from the last Toyota Sharelunker season. In 2020, 
340 lunker bass weighing greater than 8 pounds were caught and reported on 86 Texas lakes. There were four legacy-class bass caught last year, each weighing in at more than 13 pounds. Those fish were donated to the Freshwater Fishery Center in Athens for selective breeding during the spawning season. Other anglers were able to submit catch data and sometimes genetic data from their fish to the program. That data supplements sampling data collected by fisheries biologists and helps them to make even better management decisions for Texas fisheries. All anglers who submit data or donate fish are entered into a drawing for one of several great prizes. This year's Toyota Share Lunker season is already underway. Find out how you can participate and help improve the future of bass fishing in Texas at TexasShareLunker.com. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The cattle market ended the week on a positive note Friday. We were higher in both live and feeder cattle futures. The cotton market continues to climb toward 90 cents. In fact, we had one contract actually settle above 90. We'll take a closer look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. National FFA Week is February 20th through the 27th, a week set aside for FFA students across the country to share how FFA impacts members every day. I'm National FFA Secretary Anna Mathis from Arkansas. Because FFA and agricultural education prepare students for careers, leadership, and the ability to face what the future holds, the FFA impact is profound. Share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle market ended the week on an upswing on Friday. Higher closes in both live and feeder cattle futures. February live cattle up 80 cents, 115.92. The April up 75, 123.67. June live cattle up 75 at 120.52. March feeder cattle up 92 cents to end the week at 139.12. The April up 92 at 142.67. May feeder cattle up $1.10, 145.72. The cash fed cattle market saw some fairly light sales at the end of the week. Most of our live sales here in Texas were at 114. That's steady with last week up north. Prices were as high as 115, a buck higher. That's, of course, live prices. We did see a few dress sales reported at 181. That's a dollar higher than the previous week. Boxed beef prices were mixed on Friday. Choice up 36 cents, 239.21. The select down to 227.45. The auction barns mostly shut down for the week with all of the cold, snow, and ice. But Larry Marble has a look back at the previous week. He's walking the pens. Good day to you, my Texas farming and ranching neighbor, and welcome back to Walking the Pens, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm your host, Larry Marble. Neighbor, neighbor, we had a last look at sheep and goats for last week because of our winter storms. Let's go to San Angelo, talk to Benny Cox, see how they ended up. Benny? How many noses did you count? 
Oh, Larry, we got along real well. 46.30 was the count. The wool feeder lamb type, they sold steady. Your slaughter lambs, you know, most all them being your hair sheep type, they sold near steady. The only weakness in those were some of those like over 80 pounds. They might have been 10, 15 lower slaughter ewes. They sold steady. The kid goes, they were 10 to 20 higher. The slaughter nannies were really good on those, 170 to 240, 215 to 225 on the bulk of those. Uh, big mature billies from $1.90 all the way to 240 is hard to buy one under two bucks. Uh, on the wool feeder lamb type, we had some old big things bring as low as $2 and some of those lightweights up to 302 On the slaughter, the hair sheep lamb, 250 to 316 on the lightweights, every weights from 180 to 288 On our slaughter use, a dollar to $1.40, mostly $1.10 to $1.30. On your kid goats, from 270 all the way to 410 and that 410 would be killing goats, not feeder goats. Most of them sold in a range of 340 up to $4. Of course, Benny, your sale for this week was canceled. In the meantime, tell folks how to get hold of you. You bet. They call me on my mobile. It's 325-234-4277 and call the office, same area code 653-3371 or always look at the web, which is producersandcargyle.com. Neighbor, let's head south and east and talk to Brian Lentzman from Seguin Cattle Company. Brian, how'd your sheep and goats sell? Good nannies brought from 230 to 275 and the good kid goats brought from $3 to 345 but they were bringing up $6 a pound. So then when you get into those dorpers, the good ewes brought from 135 to 160 with the lambs bringing 240 to 295 So, like I said, not a bad day. Cousin Brian, tell us how to get a hold of you. Hey, give us a call at 830 830- 379-9955 or you can call me on my cell at 830-305-0652. Neighbor, I'm Larry Marble and you've been a part of Walking the Pins on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs close lower Friday, April down 42 at 84.50. May hogs down 17, 87.40. Class 3 milk steady to higher. February milk unchanged, 15.62. March milk up 8 cents, 16.36 a hundredweight. The cotton market closed slightly higher on Friday. The USDA weekly export sales report was released Friday morning. It actually wasn't all that great, but the market doesn't seem to care. It's just determined to top 90 cents. In fact, we did top 90 cents on the May contract. First, the March, it was up 22 at 88.95. The May up 18, closing at 90.48 cents. December, new crop cotton up 42, closing at 85.50. Well, the wheat market doesn't quite seem to know which direction to take. Of course, it's trying to digest any possible damage that we may have had to the winter wheat crop over the past week. For Friday's trade, we ended up closing lower. July Kansas City wheat down four and a quarter, 642 and a quarter. July Chicago wheat down six and a half, 643 and a quarter. The corn market was mixed. September corn down one and three quarters, 481 and three quarters. December corn up three quarters at 460 a bushel. In the energy markets, March natural gas down a penny, 307. March crude oil down a dollar 54, 58.98 a barrel. The financial markets were mixed. The Dow Jones Industrial Average steady at 31,494. The Nasdaq up nine, 13,847. The S&P 500 down seven, 3,906. That wraps up our markets, and that wraps up another edition of Texas Ag Today. Well, I hope you're thawing out, cleaning up, and trying to get your life back to normal. Warm temperatures are just around the corner, so I hope you have a great week getting things back on track. Remember, we'll be right back here next time to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.